tension, uncertainty, and a feeling of having stood up to the forces of violence. That's a summary of what it was like in Cairo today on this February 3rd, 2011. I'm John Hockenberry with Celeste Headley, and this is Wave of Change, explaining and experiencing the push for democracy in Egypt and the Arab world. On this latest edition of this special podcast from The Takeaway, from our partners, The New York Times and the BBC, we're going to take you to Cairo, where overnight violence brought apologies, but no real reaction from the Egyptian government. The army has continued to have a difficult time mediating between clashing groups, and the Obama administration is increasingly challenged in its efforts to be influential in Egypt and the region. As we do each day, we'll recap today's events, we'll introduce you to a face in those crowds, we'll talk with someone who can help us understand what exactly we are seeing, and leave you with a memorable takeaway from this morning's radio program. We begin with the events of today. You're hearing there the sound of live machine gun fire that peppered the nighttime as violence left hundreds of casualties and at least seven dead, according to doctors treating victims at the scene. Some doctors, we learned, drove hundreds of kilometers to help the victims. Demonstrations and confrontations between pro-Mubarak thugs, some people are calling them, and pro-democracy demonstrators continued all day. There were reports of journalists being roughed up by pro-government factions and reports that the army was openly trying to separate the pro-government groups from the pro-democracy groups. The government announced that it had nothing to do with the so-called thugs. The prime minister called for an investigation into the violence and apologized for the casualties. Whoever is behind it, whoever is responsible for what had happened yesterday, will be dealt according to the law, God willing, and very soon. A real vivid sense of the uncertain tension on the streets of Cairo came in this conversation with the New York Times' Nicholas Kristof who watched a checkpoint form around him as he spoke with us this morning. I'm on the street here, and it's sort of a a checkpoint. Uh, Yeah, I think I I I better go. It's Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times who got out of that bit of difficulty there and is fine. But here to help us to make sense of today is Samir Shahada, professor of Arab politics at the Center for Contemporary Arab Studies at Georgetown University. Samir, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, let's uh, let's go through the events of today. It was a violent night uh, in 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 the morning in Cairo. There was a sense of a standoff, and uh, certainly we had reports that people felt uh, emboldened by the idea that they'd even managed to hold out. There was a field hospital in the middle of uh, the streets of Cairo, manned by individuals who seemed to be very sympathetic to the pro democracy demonstrators. Uh, take us through the events uh, of today and what you think is particularly significant. Well, there were a couple of things that I think are important and some uh, heartening. There have been reports, of course, that the army has now not only been neutral, but has tried to separate the Mubarak thugs from uh, the peaceful pro-democracy protesters and prevent them from attacking them. That's certainly very good. There were several disturbing other developments. So, for example, on uh, television, There were some uh, Internet video postings of security force cars, kind of armored cars, streaming down the streets at high speeds and actually hitting some of the protesters. And the footage is is being shown by Al Jazeera and so on. We even know, I can tell you what street that is. That's Galat Street. It's one of the streets that people can use to access Tahrir Square if you want to join the protest. Uh, But you're completely correct that Because of the extent of the violence yesterday, the machine gun fire, the Molotov cocktails that were thrown, the 
stampeding horses and camels into the crowd by the Mubarak thugs, the very fact that the protesters have managed to sustain themselves and so on and make it through the night and that they're still there in Tahrir Square, Liberation Square, because the goal, of course, was to empty the square, to empty the square of the protesters and then probably to seal it off to prevent future demonstrations, particularly a massive demonstration that is supposed to take place tomorrow. So there are really three, at least three different groups we're talking about here. We're talking about the pro-democracy, anti-Mubarak protesters. We saw the over a million person protest several days ago. That's one group. Then the second group, of course, is the uh, thugs and the uh, plainclothes security people, and including those who are you know, stampeding on camels and horses and so on into the crowd. And the third group, of course, is the army, which has been neutral you know, to a large extent, although the problem with that classification is that, as I said, they did not prevent the uh, stampeding horses and camels and so on right. um, from from you know causing harm on the on the on the civilian protesters. Uh, Samir Shahada, thanks so much. You're very welcome. Samir Shahada is professor of Arab politics at the Center for Contemporary Arab Studies at Georgetown University. So with that recap, let's take you right into the crowds of people from all walks of life represented in Egypt and on those streets in Cairo. And today we'll include a little later the voice of an Egyptian who hopes Hosni Mubarak actually remains as president. But first, let me introduce you to Soha Yassim, 25 years old, our face in the crowd. I went the day before today, and it was a historic day. But with this violence, I think um, it's terrible. Soha Yassim spoke with us from her home in the Cairo suburbs. She is contemplating whether to show up tomorrow at that massive demonstration called for in downtown Cairo, Soha, on a very difficult phone line, all traditional communications with normal citizens in Cairo has been disrupted this week, so listen carefully. Anyway, Soha described her feelings to us of being with the demonstrators earlier in the week. She says she saw people from everywhere in her country together. I found every person that you can think Egyptian is, and they are all thinking together what the future can look like. We cannot keep these people afraid forever. This is not right. That's 25-year-old Soha Yassin. This young woman who has her future ahead of her says the government is trying to keep all Egyptians from being part of a modern society. This is not a country. This is as if you're just, um, you know, paying all your money all your life to someone just to keep you safe. This is not a modern country in any way. That's 25-year-old Soha Yassin, who may be one of the faces in the crowd at tomorrow's demonstration. She told us that she will make her decision tonight after consulting with her very worried parents. So what are we seeing here? Each day, someone helps us to answer that question. And today we're joined by Leslie Gelb, former head of the Council on Foreign Relations. He's also author of Power Rules, How Common Sense Can Rescue American Foreign Policy. Leslie Gelb suggests that perhaps the question, what are we seeing, might be replaced with, what is the White House seeing? For six days, they announced a new policy every day. And that was a good part of the problem. You know, they start off saying, hey, this guy Mubarak isn't even a dictator and things are stable, to he's, uh, in effect, got to get out now. And every day you heard a new line. And when that happens, everyone loses confidence in what you're saying. They don't know what you're really up to, if you understand what's going on. If the if a president of the United States were to ask me, how do I deal with things like this? I would say right off the bat, tell the uh, 24-7 cable news and the other people hounding you every second for policy pronouncements, that you're not going to do it. 
that you're trying to work this out in a peaceful, orderly way, and you're not going to do it by making daily announcements for, uh, for the press. And I think if a president did that, and then after several days when we did get a feel for the situation, I think the public would applaud it. There's no reason that administrations have to force themselves into being idiotic every time there's a crisis. All right, so forget smarts then for a moment. Uh, let's just talk uh, morality, if we can, for a second, tiptoe in that direction. Is is there a, an argument that this is a no-brainer? Of course the United States is with the folks in the streets. That should be said up front. Is there a danger to doing that? Well, to me there is. Uh, I think the U.S. position should be we're in favor of democracy, we're in favor of human rights, and we've always taken that position. And as Hillary Clinton finally said on Sunday, we want this to be an orderly and peaceful transition to a real democracy, not a fake one. Well, then, to take your point, um, Obama says we want an orderly process. Mubarak says, yeah, I'm giving you order, okay? Just settle down here. I'm trying to bring you order. What do you say to that? I would say it puts us on the horns of a dilemma because, of course, we can't trust him to do that. Uh, So we've got to try to pin him down on timetables for his departure in order to give credibility to that transition process. But we, we are really up the creek without a paddle at this moment because we have a lot of responsibility in this situation in Egypt, but very little power to shape events. That's Leslie Gelb, former head of the Council on Foreign Relations and author of Power Rules, How Common Sense Can Rescue American Foreign Policy. Common sense. There's a concept. For some in Egypt, we learned this week, common sense suggests that taking President Hosni Mubarak at his word makes the most sense. Let him resign in September, as he promised earlier in the week, and slowly prepare the country for fully free elections. That's the view of Omar Khalifa, who talked with Takeaway co-host Celeste Headley and me this morning. He's pro-Mubarak and just as worried about his country as some of the other Egyptians we've heard from this week. Omar, in fact, has never known anything but the government of Hosni Mubarak. I trusted him, to be honest, and I trust that he's not going to run in the next elections. But what I uh, am aware of is that we should look at democracy and we should take the good and bad parts of it. Democracy isn't always good. I'm for uh, freedom of speech and freedom of expression and human rights and everything. But if we have free and fair elections in Egypt, the extremists will take over and we'll be in more chaos. And that's what happened in Palestine. So, Omar Khalifa, you're referring to Hamas winning in uh, Gaza and uh, that being a problem for the Palestinian exactly. Authority. But a lot of people exactly. will say, at, uh, well, but, but a lot of people will say, that sounds to me like you're saying the Egyptian people are not responsible enough to determine their own destiny, that democracy is, is, is beyond the people of Egypt. And it sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, you're embracing dictatorship. No. No, I'll tell you, before democracy, we have to have education, you know. You can't, you can't introduce democracy in a, on a very fast uh, pace without people being prepared for it. Or is Egypt prepared for democracy, like the one you have in the U.S. or in other European countries? Definitely not. We, are, we have to uh, have a strong education system, and then we can have democracy. But, but Omar, are you ready it's for democracy? You can't have it. Are you ready for no, democracy? Ready for democracy. So, but you personally, are you educated enough to be uh, in a democracy? Yes. But, but other people, your neighbors maybe are not? 
No, my neighbors are, but uh, but my neighbors and myself represent only maybe three percent of the population, or five percent, or ten percent. So, uh, so, uh, so you say there's a bar to to democracy that the Egypt has not reached. Exactly. What a takeaway there from Omar Khalifa, managing director at O Media, a media company in Cairo. The idea that people are not ready for democracy or need special qualifications to be free is precisely the debate that those British subjects who became free Americans had back in the 1700s. So while the names may change, the themes are universal in this debate over democracy. And before we go, listen to this. Being determined that peace should be based on justice and that the political and social progress of all peoples can only be realized through the freedom of these peoples and their independent will and that any civilization is not worthy of its name unless it is free from exploitation whatever its form. Or listen to these words. Man's humanity and dignity are the lights which guide and direct the course of the great development of mankind for the realization of its supreme ideal. Man's dignity is a natural reflection of the nation's dignity now that the individual is the cornerstone in the edifice of the homeland. What am I reading from? Those words are taken directly from the Egyptian constitution, ratified with amendments in 1980. Egyptians were apparently ready enough for democracy to get that constitution. Now we may learn if those promises can actually be kept. We'll be following all these events on the next Takeaway along with the New York Times, the BBC, PRI, and all of our other partners. And join us right here for the next edition of Wave of Change, explaining and experiencing the push for democracy in Egypt and the Arab world. With Celeste Headley, I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks for joining us. And remember, we're always on at thetakeaway.org.